righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the same.
isn't it good to know that whatever storm you're facing, God is in control of it. He is Lord over it. Jesus. 
us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, this beautiful day that you've made for us. Thank you for the opportunity to come out and to worship you this day, Lord. Thank you for your love for each one of us. Just watch over us now and bless these tithes and offering. Lead and guide us this week. Forgive us, Lord, where we fail thee. For it's in Christ's name I pray.
I want to give space. Is there a testimony in the house this morning? Revelation chapter 3, we're going to start in, start in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith, He that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, 
He that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep them from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell on the earth. Behold, I come quickly, and that fast, and hold fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you care enough for us to talk to us, to speak to us. Father, I ask that you, the cloud of your presence descend upon Northside Baptist today, Lord. Father, enshroud us. Let the mantle of your love rest upon us, Father. Open our hearts. Father, you plow the road. Father, you plant the seed. Father, this is your time. God, we give you praise. Sweet Yahweh, we give you love and honor for it. We ask it all in the pure and holy name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. Church of Philadelphia. We're not talking about the eagles here. What's Philadelphia mean? City of brotherly love. Now, why is this ancient city called the city of brotherly love? King Eumes II of Pergamos founded a city at a place where his brother Atalus showed him great honor and great loyalty. And King Eumenes had such a great love for his brother that this crossroads is now called Philadelphia. That's where the city got its name. And Philadelphia was first founded around the year 189 A.D. And the ironic part is it's founded as a missionary town. It's not Christian missionaries. What, what's happening here is Greek culture wanted to spread abroad into the Asian countries, and so Greece comes in and backs King Eumenes in this area, and so want, they want to spread Greek culture, Greek music, Greek philosophy, the Greek way of life. It's an early form of imperialism. So they're set up to go into Asia. They're set up to go down into the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. They're set up that where they could go back into Africa, go up into the Russian area, in the land of Magog. They are along what's called the Mail Route, M-A-I-L. We studied about this when we went through Esther. It's the road that goes that connects pretty much the whole world at that point that the early Pony Express riders get on and King Ahasuerus's male riders who neither rain, shine, sleet, or snow could stop. This is the route that they're sitting on. They're on Route 66. They're getting their kicks out there. But it is an economics crossroads. They have, they, they don't have anything specific that they're known for. But you can come, you can buy textiles there, you can buy jewelry from Sardis down here, uh, you can buy spices from the Orient here, you can buy knickknacks from Egypt, you can buy limestone from Egypt, you can get all kinds of stuff. It's, 
it, it, it's a little five points, if you will. It's, it's just, there's a ton of stuff here. And it, it's, that's what gives it its economic status, as it were. So going into Philadelphia, how does Christ introduce himself? That he's the Holy One, the True One. He has the key of David. What else? He, he says, I'm the one that when I open a door, you can't close it. And when I close a door, you can't open it. Now, what is that reminiscent of? The ark. Why? Why is it reminiscent of the ark? He closed it. God closed the door. And, spe and to speak of these doors, there's a good reason. Don't you think Noah's heart broke when the rains come and the flood comes and he looks down and there are people that he has known quite literally his entire life begging to get in? Men that as boys they played together. Don't you think that broke his heart? But God closed the door. There are things in our life that to us they would seem good, they would seem merciful, they would seem kind but God has to cut them out. He's, when, when, when we relinquish that control, we give him control of the doors. He's opening the doors where we need to go. He's closing the doors where we don't need to go. And he's telling them that. And it's, it's an encouragement to Philadelphia. But not just he that opens and closes the door. He says he holds the key of David. Now what? pray tell is the key of David. Well, back over here in Isaiah chapter 22 and verses 20, 20 and it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkah, and I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hands, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulders, so he shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. Now, God's taught, speaking to Isaiah, well, speaking through Isaiah, that he's going to establish Eliakim as a ruler. He's going to give him the key of David, which is the key to David's kingdom. The key of David is the rightful heirship to the throne. And there shall come a shoot out of the rod of Jesse. And there shall be a son given. And it says the government will be upon his shoulders. The key of David. The rightful heir. Christ is saying, I am. And the rightful heir here. I am holy. Back in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, God's getting ready to sanctify the Levites. He says, Consecrate yourselves and be ye holy, for I am holy, says the Lord God, says Yahweh Almighty. Set yourselves apart, sanctify yourself by the washing of the water of the word, as it says in Ephesians holy. Be holy. I am the holy one. I am the true. As we sing about this morning, 
Christ alone. Cornerstone. I'm true. I'm laid out exactly. I am laid out perfectly. The cornerstone that the builders rejected. Well, we can't possibly build off that. Yes. Yes, you can. I am the foundation. But not only that, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Man, that sounds like a door to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You turn over here to John chapter 10. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leads them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spoke Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were being spoken. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. There is a season for salvation, and there will come a season when there won't be. The door stands wide open for any that would heed the call of the Holy Spirit right now. But there's coming a day, brother. There's coming a day, sister. There's coming a day, child, when the door is going to be closed. And it cannot be opened at that point. Today is the day of salvation. I am holy. I am true. I am the one that holds the key of David. He's speaking to a Gentile church here. He's telling them all the kinds of prophecies that would have been told. He's speaking in New Testament language for the most part as to who he is. He's speaking to a Gentile audience. When God speaks to us, he speaks to us in the ways we can understand. That's why in the New Testament, when we begin speaking in tongues, Paul says, if somebody has the gift of tongues, there must also be somebody that possesses what? Interpretation. Because if not, he's just standing up like a fool in the congregation babbling. He doesn't edify anybody but himself. God wants you to understand. God wants to speak to you so that you understand. That's why God left the throne in glory, came past the spirit world to the physical world, lived a perfect life to show us that there is a God that loves you, died a sinner's death for all of us, crucified on a bloody cross that we were so deserving of, laid in a tomb for three days, and then rose again. I am true. I am holy. I hold the keys to the government. I am the rightful heir to the throne. I open the door of salvation that no man could open, and when it's time to shut the doors of death, hell, and the grave, I'm the one to do it. What an introduction. What does he go on to say that he likes? He says, I know thy works. What else does he say? You've kept my word. You've not denied my name. 
We're a small group today. Let's be participatory. You've kept my works. You haven't denied my name. You've got a little what? Strength. What's it like for Christ to look at you and say, man, you got some strength. You've got a little strength going on there. Think of the churches that he's been talking about. You have bad doctrine in your church. You, you're just, you've been pathetic so far. Go back and get your zeal back. Go back to your first works. But you, your church that's growing, I like what you're doing now. That first stuff, yeah, it's all right, but you're getting better. For Christ to have criticized these churches, but now he's encouraging a church. He says, man, look at you. Child of God, look at you. You're being faithful. You're keeping my word. You're keeping, you're, you're, you're keeping the word of my patience. You're not denying my name. Look at you. You got something going. Yes, Lord, thank you. That's what it ought to be. Thank you, God, that you see something in me worth, worth using. Like Peter, getting thrown into jail. Preaching the gospel. And then coming out, whoo! Satan saw something in me he didn't like, and God loves it. Thank you for counting me worthy to suffer for your word, God. Thank you for Satan attacking me because he wants to tear me down because he's starting to know my name. Could you imagine being like Paul and the demons knowing your name? I want to level up to that. I want to level up to, well, we know David. That's where I want my walk to go. He says, I know thy works and thy strength. And I have set before you an open door. They're on the main route. What kind of open door do they have? What kind of open door? They got people from everywhere. This road goes into India where Thomas had died as a martyr. This road goes back to Rome, where multiple Christians had died as martyrs at this point. It's a gospel road. There's room to preach the gospel to the known world. It's a highway and hedges kind of door, kind of like 29 out here. You can take 29 all the way up to Maine. Follow it far enough, go down into the swamps of South Georgia and Florida. It's a highway and hedges kind of open door. Now that's ministry. I've said it before you. You're getting faithful in it. You've got some strength. But what's he doing? What's Christ doing? Eight, it says, I know that works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. We've encountered these guys before. We've encountered Jews that come, and they tack on to the gospel of salvation. 
well, yes, you know, you're, you, you've, got, you've got Jesus, but you've got to have circumcision to go with it. You've got Jesus, but you've got to keep the law to go with it. What they're doing is they're preaching bad doctrine, just like those that hold the doctrine of Balaam and Balak, those that hold the doctrine of Jezebel, those that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. It's something that adds to the gospel of Christ. If we're adding to or if we're taking away, this book says there are plagues coming, baby. There's something coming to you that's not pleasant. There is punishment headed your way. But we've got the Jews that are putting the yoke of the law where Christ has come and he has broken the yoke. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say that they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Now this is another reference back to the right hand. Christ is holding the stars in his right hand. Why? Right hand's what? Clean. Pastors are expected to be clean. Gentiles are what? Unclean. He's speaking to an unclean, well, a Gentile audience, which the Jews perceive to be unclean, and for them to have to come and worship at the feet of a Gentile, how much fun is that for a Jew? Not very. It's a very humbling experience. Because thou hast kept my word of patience, I also will keep them from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them which dwell upon the earth. Now, in my studies for this, there are certain theologians that I read from and get their take on it. And theologians are a lot like Baptists. You put five of us in a, in a room, you're going to get eight opinions. Well, this is reference to the Great Tribulation. Well, no, this is reference to this war. Well, no, in light of what you think, I think it's a reference to this Roman ruler. Well, no, I think it's going to be this Byzantine ruler. Well, no, I think this is, it's going to be this. You know what? You've kept my word. You haven't denied my name. I've got you. It doesn't matter if your hour of temptation is but an hour on the earth, if it's a situation at work, if it's a situation in your family. Jesus said, if you're not denying my name, if you're constantly in my word, you're seeking my face, you're, you're holding the word of my patience, I've got you. Keep you from the hour of temptation. I am there with you through that. I will keep you from the dangers of that. It doesn't mean you're not going to walk through the valley, brother. It doesn't mean you're not walking through the valley, sister. It means he, when, when we're on the valley of the shadow of death, and robbers lurk behind every rock, it means I've got you. We're not going to worry about what this theologian says, what that theologian says, or what that theologian says. Just like last week, if we're seeking God's face, if we're seeking after his will, if we're seeking his word, He's got us. If I'm seeking after his face, after his will, after his word, I'm not worried about my name getting blotted out like he told the people of Sardis. Because he said, I won't take it out of the book. Your name will be there. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which you have, that no man takes your crown. 
Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. For Jesus to be your biggest cheerleader. Man, I can't. I can only slightly imagine that. <coughs> Excuse me. Those of you that help with upward, you know who the loudest person on the field is. There is no doubt by far. Matt told me the other week that he was in his car out here in the parking lot and heard me way out on the other field. I tell my parents every year before we get started, yes, I am loud. Yes, I am a hard coach. There is not a person out here louder than me, but I promise you, I promise that the only person out here that's more of a cheerleader for them than you is me. I'm the coach. I'm the one that's correcting them when they play poorly. I'm the one that's correcting them when they practice poorly. I'm the one making corrections. But I am their biggest cheerleader because I'm able to look into them see what they possess, and see what we can clean up and push them a little further. Yes, I'm loud, and I'm a huge cheerleader for my kids. Could you imagine Jesus as your cheerleader? The very beginning of the creation of God is your cheerleader. Keep on keeping on, church. Let's go. Get her done. Come on. You're doing this great. Let's do it better. Your service is awesome. Let's do it better. Today's treasure is tomorrow's trash. That's where we start. Keep on keeping on, church. Hold fast to what you have. Hold to my name. Hold to my saving grace. Hold to the blood at Calvary. Hold it. Don't let it go. It's yours. I have given it to you. I have paid the price. It's yours. Hold it. Take care of it. Use it. Give it away. Him that overcometh, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. My stars. I'm going to make him a pillar. Now we may think that this is some great spiritual term. It's not. It's exactly what the says it's a pillar it's a structural support there are a couple on the temple on Solomon's temple that are made of bronze you've got Boaz and you've got Jacob and for the most part they're decorative they're holding a rock up but they're made of solid bronze they could hold so much more so they're mostly decorative he's saying I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my father and you will no more go out. We just talked about the sheep. The sheep come in at night for what? Safety, security. They go out in the days for what? They go out to eat. He's saying, I'm going to make you a pillar in my father's house. You are going to be structurally integral into my father's temple. 
You're going to serve there. There's no need to go out for sustenance, for my Father will sustain you there. Man, you got a white robe with a white rock with a new name on it. You're serving in God's temple. You're a priest, and you're integral to the worship in the temple. Man alive, what a promise. Not just that. American culture, we don't understand the significance of that. We don't grab it and we don't hang on to that. You will never see a Jew write out the name of God. Because the name is so holy, you don't write it on anything, you don't write it on paper. Because paper rots. And the name of God would then rot. You don't tattoo it. Number one, because tattoos are against the law because that's what the pagans did. But the body, when it dies, it rots. You don't carve it into stone because over time the stone gets worn and it wears away. of because you will not perish you will not die you will now have eternal life I don't have to worry about your flesh decomposing the name of my God can be on you because it will live for all eternity I'm going to put the name of the new city which is New Jerusalem which comes down from the heavens from my father you're getting a new address you're a pilgrim here we just passing through. I've got an eternal address for you, says Christ. You get, this is your new hometown, the new Jerusalem. That, that's home. That's where you're going to be if you are the overcomer. But more importantly, I'm going to put my new name on there. When this is written, Christ doesn't know that new name yet because it's not been given. Christ doesn't know the name. The angels don't know the name. Only the Father knows the name. And the name is given to the victor of the battle. And Christ, my friend, is that victor. Christ is the victor. I got you, but more importantly, I've got all this. You see the little battle here in this world. You don't see the war that rages in the next. You're fighting with a person. I'm fighting the very demons that are driving this problem. That's, that's, that's a problem with us. That's a problem that we have in our society. When we enter into conflict, that person did this to me. So-and-so said this to me. So-and-so treated me like, eh. We don't see the spiritual force of that. For we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and the rulers of the darkness of this age. Why 
is the demon attacking you? Why did the demon say that to you? What kind of battle is being fought on the spiritual plane against you? Don't always look to the person. I'm going to write the name of my father because you're going to have everlasting life. I'm going to write your new address because this is where you live, baby. Come on up. This is your new address. You're going to reside here forever. And I'm going to write my name because I have the victory. Like Billy Graham said one time, you know, I read the end of the book. I snuck ahead. It turns out all right for us. Verse 14, if you would please rise in honor of God's word. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, I have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Thank you. You may be seated. We, we finally made it to the David church. I was a bad kid. Again, I know y'all are shocked by that. But you've got the Laodiceans here. Laodicea is a very, very, very rich neighborhood. It's a rich city. Size-wise, it's comparable to the city of Noonan. Population-wise, it's comparable to Coweta County. At its height, it had about 150,000 people. I think there are 147,000 in the county today. So we're pretty close to what Laodicea was, people-wise. Laodicea has a medical school for the carrying God men. And it's known all throughout the region. People come here to get treated from all kinds of ailments. They come to the hot springs for the therapy. And there, there's just, the medical school is a huge economic driving force. Banking is huge in this area. It, what we know as CDs today is a concept that comes from this area of the world. I mean, they're just, they're just rolling in it. But in 60 AD, about 20 years before this letter is written, a huge earthquake leveled the city. And Nero, <laughs> Nero, offers the city 
money to rebuild. Yeah, come on. Send it on, Caesar. Send the coal. Send the cash. We're rolling into Benjamins. Laodicea says, no thanks. We're good. We've got money on our own. We'll, be, we'll rebuild it ourselves. Now, all of a sudden, some of this stuff takes on a whole new meaning. They say, no thanks. We'll rebuild because, well, we've got the money. Not only do they have banking, not only do they have medical school, they're rich in textiles. You've got Sardis with all their little metal work not too far away. You've got Thyatira, which is pretty close, right down the river a little bit. They're selling cloth. They're selling dyes. They're selling jewelry. They're, they're selling rugs, carpets. They're especially known for their black wool. It said, one historian said that it was woven so tight that it was waterproof. Wool. Waterproof. Whew. I hate to wash a wool sweater. Get all shrunk up. It starts out fitting me, and then it fits Eli by the time it comes out of the dryer. But how, do, how does Christ introduce himself here? He says, I'm the amen. The faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. He says, I'm the amen. I'm the so let it be. I am the, this is a trustworthy statement. I am this is a faithful thing. These are all definitions of the word amen, as it's pronounced in the Hebrew. Let it be done. It's faithful. It's trustworthy. Jesus is saying, I am the faithful. I am the trustworthy. It's done in me, as is echoed when he says, I am the beginning of the creation of God. For by him... And through him, was not everything made, we're told? Yes. I am the faithful and the true witness, just as we talked about a moment ago. True witness, being square. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. See, now here, I got to this point in my studies. And if you are a parent, you know the tone that this is with. You didn't clean your room. Or cut the grass. I wished you had either cleaned your room or gone outside and cut the grass. But since you're sitting here and watching TV and not cutting the grass or cleaning your room, you're going to be punished. I know that tone. This is a disgruntled parent. I use this tone. I know, I know the intent behind this. I know that works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Now, text-wise, we're at a crossroads. There are two ways to interpret this passage. The actual context-wise is that You've got Laodicea here, you've got 
Hierapolis here, and you've got Colossae here. We're familiar with Colossae. Well, Colossae, they bring water down from the mountains. The snow melts, it comes down, they have these streams of just pure, cold water. Avion, eat your heart out. Just, they're known for cold water. But then you've got Hierapolis, which is above Laodicea. They're known for their hot springs. People from all over the known world come to sit in the pools in the, of the hot mineral water and get revived, get refreshed. It's, that's what they're known for. They have temples completely dedicated to these hot baths. Laodicea has to pipe water in from the mountains. So by the time it travels about six or seven miles in this limestone aqueduct, it's picked up all kinds of trash, it's picked up all kinds of garbage, and when it comes out of the pipe, it's full of calcium chloride. It's full of lime scale. It's, it's just nasty. It's putrid. It has iron in it because of where they're getting it from. So if you can imagine that puddle of iron water that never quite dried up in, mom, in Grandma and Granddaddy's backyard, it's got that rainbow slick on top of it. It looks like it's got oil on it. But you go over and you smell it. It smells to high heaven because it's stagnant. It's just still. Don't dare take a sip of it. But this mineral water, historians have said, is an emetic. Said it's great for cleaning out the pipes, it's great for the sewer system, but if you take a sip, once it hits the stomach and mixes with the bile, it comes right back up. So we have the context wise, because you are neither hot, you're not therapeutic, you're not healing, you're, you're not out there taking my healing name, you're not out there serving and making things better in my name, or you're not refreshing, you're not over here being life, giving life and rejuvenation to people through my name, you're, you're fit for cleaning out the sewers, that you're just disgusting, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth because the minute it hits my stomach, ooh, I can't tolerate it. <laughs> and the people at Laodicea knew exactly what he was talking about when he says hot and cold. But then there's the everybody else that doesn't know about Laodicea interpretation. I would prefer you be hot. I would prefer you be on fire for me. I would prefer you be zealous for me, seeking me, again, holding fast to his name, holding fast to the blood shed at Calvary, holding fast to the saving grace of God, not letting go. I want you to be zealous in telling everybody you possibly can about me or... Just stay away if that's the way you're going to be. Just be cold. And is there biblical evidence to support this? Yes. Joshua 24. Get rid of your idols and serve the Lord God. But if you don't see it fit to serve the Lord God, and you want to serve the gods of the Amorites, which you among who you dwell now, or you want to serve the gods, the idols of your fathers, then serve them. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Make a decision. Serve God or serve something else. Well, that's just one verse. Yes, that is one verse. What does Christ say? No man can serve two masters. 
or else he will love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. Man cannot serve both God and mammon or greed. God says, serve me or serve yourself. Be on fire for me or just go away. Don't stand with one foot firmly planted in both. You can't live that way. You can't be lukewarm. It's nauseating to my Christ. It's disgusting to my Savior to just be lukewarm. Well, we've got, we've got this church program, and you know, there, we've got billboards that say, Church in an hour. And if you don't believe me, go up on 74, hang a left, and go like you're going into downtown Fairburn. There's a church that, says, that has a billboard that says, Church in an hour. church is 24-7. Being the church is a daily gig. Being the church should consume every minute of our day. Being the church is what we're called to do. We're called to be salt, light. Why, why, why be salt? To make life worth living. Food without salt is mundane. It's boring. It's dull. Salt gives it flavor. Christian, you are here to give flavor. You are the one that should make life worth living. We're called to be light in a darkened world. Friend, can I tell you that for so long the church has prayed, God, make us a light in the darkened world. Father, make us a light in the darkened world. Father, make us a light in the darkened world. Christian, the world has kept its promise. Have you? The world has darkened and darkened and darkened and darkened and on and on it goes. Have you gotten brighter and brighter and brighter? Are you shining as you have asked God to do? God, I want to shine bright in a darkened world. Well, then do it. The world's kept its end of it. It's gotten darker. Church, get brighter. Be that light. If we're to take the contextual version of this, we are to be healing. We're to be like the warm water. We're supposed to help bring restoration to people, bringing people to Christ to restore that right relationship between God and man. We're supposed to be therapy to them. We're supposed to be help and healing. Or we're supposed to be cool water. We're supposed to be refreshing. We're supposed to be rejuvenating because the trials of this life have just run people ragged. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He's got water where you'll never thirst again. It brings life. It will fortify you. Be these things. That's what he's telling us to do. Be these things. If you're not, then stop playing church. Amen or oh man. Stop playing church. David, Stop playing church. Northside, stop playing church. Church in America, stop playing church. Be the church. Stop playing it. Take a page from Star Wars. Do or do not. There is no try. Be the church. There's not trying to be the church. There's not playing it being the church. Be the the church. The 
Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Remember, we talked about them rebuilding without any financial assistance from the Roman government. We rebuilt our church. Look at our glorious church. Isn't it wonderful? Welcome to church. We didn't rely on God. We just relied on our wallet. But Jesus goes on to say, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Say what? Gold tried in the fire. For the works of man that would take and build his house upon gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. When the fire comes, it's going to consume those things which can be consumed and those things which remain. That's what man's going to be judged on. Gold tried in the fire. Some of us are going to walk through heaven smelling like smoke because our works didn't hold up in the fire. Some of us are going to smell like we've been working the barbecue pit, which for me, I love barbecue, but we're going to smell of that smoke, a constant reminder of where your works were. Could you imagine living in eternity, smelling smoke on your clothes and thinking, if I had only done better, if I had done it with the right heart, if I had done it for God's glory and not my glory, live in eternity, smelling like smoke. Buy raiment from me, that you may be clothed in white. We go back to that white robe. We go back to chapter 1. John says, I see a man, hair's white, beard's white. His eyes are like fire. They're consuming feet like breath, but he's clothed in a white robe with a golden belt. He's the high priest. Seek out that which is priestly. Seek out that which is honorable, that which is noble in God. Seek that high priest position. Are we not called to be priests? Are we not a priesthood of believers? Aren't we told that we're that? Yes, we are. Be a priesthood. Buy clothes that thy shame and thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Laodicea, the medical school, this is their specialty. They would take the local rocks and they would scrape the outsides of the rocks and then they would grind the scrapings into a fine powder. Then they would combine them with the warm springs that have this high calcium chloride content. They would make a paste and apply it to the eyes. And it's like Alka-Seltzer for the eyes. It's just, it plops on and it fizzes and it kills the infection. It's like a peroxide eye salve. So they're known for this and it's, <laughs> you wince, but, <laughs> but that's what it does. And it's, Several historians note this as being the place, if something's wrong with your eyes, if you've got some kind of infection, styes, whatever, go here, get the salve, you're good to go. But Christ speaks to Laodicea on their level. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Christ talking about eye salve. Over in John chapter 9. Christ made some eye salve. 
in John chapter 8, the Pharisees have been hot on him. Christ was walking through town. The Pharisees just come over, and they're just hot on him. And before Abraham was, I am, they get all mad. They tear their clothes. They're ripping. And then he, they, Christ and the disciples escape, and they see a blind man. And the disciples ask Christ, well, whose sin caused him to be blind, his or his mom's or his dad's? Christ said, nobody's. He's blind for your edification. Christ goes over, leans down, spits in the dirt, makes a little bit of paste, rubs it on the man's eyes. He tells the man, go wash it off in the Siloam fountain. Siloam fountain, meaning the sent one fountain. The man goes and washes it off, and what happens? sees. My friend, if you want to see clearly, remember the dust that you were made of. Remember the words that come from an almighty God that spoke creation into being. Remember who you are in relation to him. And my friend, that will clear your vision. You can see clearly at that point. God, you are God. I'm a dirty old clay pot. I live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You want clear vision? Remember, you're, you're just dust. But man, what a handful of dust that you've got Christ Almighty as your cheerleader, that you've got Christ Almighty who loves you, who, who wants your best, who wants you to be as great as you were created to be. many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. We'll come back to that. Remember from where you fell. What's the next one? Repent. What's the third one? Repeat when necessary. Remember where you fell. Repent. Repeat when necessary. My friends, it's a great thing to be chastened by God, to be rebuked by God. I mean, the, the, the kids, they get upset when we punish them. But the fact that God would punish me, thank you that you love me. Because you could just let me be out here being a little hellion and running around. But thank you that you correct me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Hey, you in there? Hey, I'm out here. Come on. It's supper time. Christ wants that time of communion with you. He seeks that intimate relationship. So many of us are willing to accept Jesus' Savior. Man, Jesus' Savior is awesome. Came as baby Jesus. Everybody loves sweet baby Jesus. Jesus says, Savior, man, man, you do it right. Jesus is Lord. Ooh. No. You want me to what? Mm, God, I'm not comfortable letting that go. You want me to go where? Mm, nope, God, not comfortable with that. Not doing that. 
We're fine with Jesus, Savior. Got my get-out-of-hell-free card. I'm good to go. Jesus is Lord is a whole nother ball game. You think of the Lord's prayer and the obedience that's expressed in that. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Think of the obedience that's in that. I'm pretty sure there's no back talk in heaven. I'm pretty sure there's no, mm, God, I don't think so. Mm, nope, I'm not comfortable with that, God. There is obedience in that prayer. God, not my will, but your will. Father, it may be uncomfortable, but God, you have your way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. There is obedience expressed in that. There is Jesus' lordship expressed in that. Remember that. It's uncomfortable. you imagine being at the Last Supper? John kicked back against him. Just the intimate relationship that was there. I'm one of the, I, I'm, I'm the type of guy, if we get in the truck to go somewhere, you and I cannot speak for five hours just like the radio play and get out of the truck. Good conversation. Guys are like that. Most guys are. But could you imagine 13? There may have been more than the 13 there. And then it dropped down to 12. But just the sitting around the table, the fellowship of just being with one another, being next to my Savior, seeing my Savior, not fully understanding what's about to happen, but knowing he's got me knowing that the hour of temptation's coming, but he's got me. I want to sup with you, Christian. You've accepted saviorship. Let's move on to lordship. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And Jesus has given out some great promises. To Ephesus, we get to eat of the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God. To Smyrna, we have the crown of life and the preservation through the second death. Pergamos, we have hidden manna, a white stone, and we have a new name. In Thyatira, we have power over the nations and the morning star. Sardis, we have a white robe, our name in the book of life, and Christ confesses us before the Father. In Philadelphia, we are made a pillar we are sustained by God. We have a new address, and we are property of the king. In Laodicea, we have communion with Christ and are joint heirs in his rulership. There's only one thing that Christ asks through all seven letters. He asks us to overcome. 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 Well, I'm trying. Okay, you are. Remember where you fell from. Repent of what caused you to fall. And when you realize you have fallen, repeat that step. Constantly, 
seek after. Friend, today, you may have accepted saviorship. But I want to ask you, have you accepted lordship? Have you accepted Christ's lordship in your life? We say, Jesus is Lord. Do you mean it? Do I have the obedience to make that claim? Do you have the obedience to make that claim? Well, yes, Jesus is Lord of my life. Really? I'm asking you. Do you have the power to holy and holy make that claim? Is Jesus Lord of your life or is he just Savior? Have you got your get out of hell free card? And I'm looking forward to streets of gold and gates of pearl. Or do you have your, I was a sinner bound for hell, but I get to spend eternity with my Jesus. I'm not worried about streets of gold. I'm not worried about walls of precious stones. I'm just worried about sitting at the feet of my Savior. I'm worried about adoring him and worshiping him. I'm worried about a hill crying out, holy is the God Almighty, before I would. prefer today you walk out that door knowing that you have a Lord and not just Savior. I would much prefer you walk out that door today knowing that you are covered in the shed blood and you are honoring that blood. I don't have to know about it. The only person that needs to know about it is Jesus. He's the only one. Father God, we thank you for your letters. Lord, how you want to be with us, how you want to be around us, Lord, how you want to love on us, and you are our greatest cheerleader, God. Father, we thank you. Father, we praise you. Father, I give this time to you now, Lord. Be great. Father, be holy. Be who we know you to be. God, we want you. Change us, oh Lord. Change our hearts. Father, we give you praise, we give you the glory. been good to be in God's house, amen? Yes. 
Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed the last four weeks. I know y'all have been tolerable, and I appreciate it. Uh, don't forget, no activities tonight, none Wednesday night. Check your bulletin. Next Sunday, we'll get geared back up, I believe. But have a good week. Find time every day to spend time with God. Seek that saviorship and that lordship. Make him Lord this week. Um, if anybody would be interested in doing the crucifixion scene Good Friday, please let me or Bill Bailey know so that we can plan accordingly. But since I'm Deacon of the Week, I will close us out. Father God, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your presence, and we thank you for your holiness, Lord. Father, we thank you that you love us so, so much, God. Father, be with these precious people now as we go out. Father, love on them, hug on them. Father, let them crawl up in your lap. Just bear hug them, God. Father, keep them close to you. Lord, keep them safe. Uphold them with your holy and precious right hand. Father, hide them in the cleft of the rock. Bring us back safely next Sunday in your worship and in your praise. God, we love you. Father, we just worship and adore you. We ask it all in the transformative name.